You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. I invite you to remain standing, if you're able, for a reading of God's Word. This is from 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah of Boscath, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulon, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah and have him count the entire sum of money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given to the hands of the workers, who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workers who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders, to the masons. And let them use it to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that's delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. The high priest Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. When Hilkiah gave the book of the law to Shaphan, he read it. And then Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king. And he reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workers who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, The priest, Hilkiah, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it aloud to the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I want to wish my sincere thanks and welcome to all of you, especially the strangers that are here. If you're here for the first time, or if you're something of a stranger to this place during this time, I want you to feel especially welcome because we have an exciting surprise that Jesus is here. And you, as a stranger, if you're watching at home, online, or a stranger here, you are Jesus. That's what Jesus taught us in Matthew 25, that when we welcome strangers among us, we are welcoming Jesus. And today we welcome all of our children in. On fifth Sundays, they're joining all of us together as we raise our voices to God and enjoy this time of worship together. So we're glad that you're with us, and we're going to even involve you here in just a little bit. I still remember vividly, it's backed up on the hard drive of my memory, my freshman year in college. Everything was new, lots of new experiences, getting to be away from home, out on my own. Everything was new and exciting. And I was a green Bible major. So I had gone to college to study to become a minister. And, you know, it was great. You know, I thought I would go and spend four years studying the Bible and, you know, some business classes as well. But then there were these other courses, too. You know, courses like University 100 or sociology or English or history. 
And each one of these teachers or professors seemed to have the job to sink those that weren't in their department or in their major. They wanted to prove that their department was better, I guess. Well, my history teacher was boring. He was difficult. And then he comes in with this assignment. I want you to choose a person from the 1800s and go and find their biography and then write a report about it. Oh, man. Well, I, I stumbled my way to the library and was trying to figure out how you find someone in the 1800s to write about. And then another Bible major, a senior Bible major, came along in his flowing robes towards me. No, they don't really wear robes, but anyway, he must have seen that I needed some help. He said, Brady, my child, what's wrong? And I said, well, I'm trying to I'm not doing anything important. I'm just doing stuff that's not related to my major, trying to find this person from the 1800s. And he said, Brady, my child, why don't you do it on the guy who founded the Restoration Movement? And I said, Restoration Movement? The movement that, that the Christian church has come from? They didn't have any human founders. He said, oh no, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Then he pointed me to these two guys, a father and a son. And I found this biography, The Fool of God, about the life of Alexander Campbell. And I, I was stunned to learn about this guy that preached about New Testament Christianity, that called people back to Scripture, who was focused on being Christians only and not the only Christians. And it was like I found a friend that I never knew that I had. It opened up to me a history, a past that I hadn't just forgotten, I didn't know anything at all about. And that was something that blessed me richly. Well, today I want to blow the dust off another story that's even older. It's a story that begins like this. Once upon a time there was a king who was eight years old, named Josiah. Eight years old? Really? Do we have any people that are eight years old today out in our audience? If you are eight years old, would you stand up? That's right, stand up. I, I've asked. I know that there are some out there. Okay, we've got a couple here. I'm going to come ask some questions. I'm going to ask some silly questions, maybe even of some parents. All right? Okay, Lily, stand up. Okay, now, if I'm going to ask silly questions, so if you don't want to answer it, then you don't have to. You just shake your head. What do you know about the Russian invasion of Ukraine? <laughs> so just, I mean, these people are going to laugh. We're going to be silly and make them laugh. Just shake your head if, no. That's good. Good answer. That's good. What about the U.S. economy? No, no. Where are your parents? Let's have these parents stand up. Stand up, PD. I'm going to ask them silly questions. Does she have a checking account yet? Uh, what? Does, have you got her enrolled in college yet? Uh, no. no? Okay, no more silly questions. Here's a serious question. Lily, if you got to be queen, what's one thing that you would do as queen of the world? If you could be queen. And I'm going to ask you, Karsten, who else is eight? Seven. Seth, that's going to count. You would ban, ban COVID from the world. Yes! Woo! I like that one. 
How about you, Carson? If you could be king, which we know you already are probably, <laughs> what would you do? It's a tough question, right? I like this. It's a king that thinks about things. If only we had leaders like this. Nothing coming to mind right now? Okay, that's good. All right, now you're seven, right? Tell me your name. Ellie. Ellie, if you could be queen, what would you do? It's more thoughtful people. This is good. Oh, we got another answer back here. Plant more trees. That's a good one. Yes. I would probably make more churches. Make more churches. Okay, as a minister. Okay, we've got a winner on that. No, everyone is one. Thank you. I mean, it's a tough question, right? If you think about this story, it's pretty staggering to think about a king at eight. And in this story... He begins reforming. He begins making things better in the country that he rules. By the time that he's 16, 2 Chronicles 34 says that he begins reforming things in earnest and turns his heart towards seeking the Lord. That's by the time he's 20. By the time he's been ruling for 18 years, we get to this story where he is cleaning out the temple, he's restoring things in the temple, at 26, which is like, what, seventh year senior in college, something like that? Doing all of these reforms, it's mind-boggling. And he does so, and in this particular story, while they're cleaning out, they find a book. The high priest finds the book, he gives it to Shaphan, pretty cool name, Shaphan, and Shaphan reads this book, which is probably Moses' law book 2.0, or Deuteronomy. And he says, I've I got to share this with the king. He goes and he shares it with the king, and the king tears his clothes. Did you hear that? The now 26-year-old king tears his clothes because he realizes that he and that the people of his country are not doing what's written in this law book. So they've got to figure out if what happens, if what this law book says will happen, will happen. And he says, all right, you go and you find a prophet. Find a, someone who speaks for God and ask them whether or not these things are going to happen. So his troop tr marches off and they find a prophetess. That's right, a prophetess, a female prophet. Did, did you not know that, that there are female prophets in the Old Testament? Have you not read carefully? There's no wording in there that says a female prophet of the Lord, a woman, insert Hebrew word for gasp. No, it's a normal thing, just like it is in the New Testament to have women who speak on behalf of God. Anyway, they go to Huldah, the prophetess, and they ask her, okay, these things that are written about the judgment that God is going to inflict, is this going to happen? And Huldah says, in confirmation of their worst fears, Yes, these things are going to happen. Josiah, this will occur. 
And Josiah is given some good news from her that don't worry, Josiah, you're going to die before it all happens and you'll die a peaceful death. Okay, now I'm going to turn all of you into kings. You have a choice. You are a king, you are a ruler, and you figure out that what you've been doing to lead, what you've been doing to guide your people, your country, has been wrong. All wrong. And you get a little peek into the future. You get to ask God, okay, God, if we change, if we alter the course of our life to do what you say, would you turn away from this judgment? And God says, no, the the judgment's coming anyway. Here's the choice for you as a king. If you know you need to make this change, but you know the change is not going to result in a version of judgment, would you do it? Now this is one I'm not asking you to answer, but I'm asking you to think about. Would you be the kind of leader to make that change even if it doesn't benefit you or the people that you serve in your lifetime? Well, what does Josiah do? He does it. In chapter 23, he begins to make these reforms even more significant, even more drastic, tearing down temples to other gods, tearing down all of these idols, high places, temples. He does all of this, even though it's against what his family has been doing up to this point. It is astounding, the reforms that he makes to his country, to his economy, to his religion. In this story, in this story of Josiah, we find some kind of a picture of what it looks like to follow God. And what does it look like? What does it look like for us? I'd like for us to look at following God through what Josiah does. Because what it looks like for Josiah is that he, first of all, didn't have any examples at all. His father, his grandfather, his whole family, none of them were examples. His grandfather Manasseh ruled in evil for, 20, for 55 years. He started at the age of 12. His, his father, Jehoiakim, ruled a little bit less time and started at age 25, did the same thing, lots of evil. He had no examples, no role models to look to. Do you feel that way? When God calls you to follow him, do you say, well, I don't don't have anybody in my life that's able to guide me in this way. I don't have these examples. Can you relate to a family that doesn't quite encourage you to the reforms that need to take place? I have to wonder if there wasn't something happening with Josiah. Maybe a nurse or a servant or a tutor, someone who was pointing him to Yahweh God. Well, what does it look like to follow God? Sometimes we do it and we're doing it alone. We don't have examples. Sometimes what it looks like to follow God is to not have Scripture. Isn't that interesting? Josiah did not have the full law. He didn't have the full guidance of Scripture at all. Not like you. I mean, look at what you're holding in your hands. You might have a Bible in your hand. You might have all of these books bound together. Or maybe you're looking at it on your phone and you can choose whatever version that you would like. Or jump on the internet and find the right font. No, he did not have scripture. He had the word of God, which might have even been more real. Sometimes we confine the word of God to the written page 
and not the Word of God as it appears in our life, as we live it out, rather than just read it on a page. In Josiah's life, it became real by the way that he lived it, by the way that he embodied what God was calling him to do, the call upon Josiah's life. Sometimes it looks like following God when you don't have examples and when you don't have Scripture, and third, when you don't even have the rules. If he didn't have this law book, he didn't have all that it would take. He didn't have the full, complete rules. And yet, and here's the key verse that I want you to focus on. If you needed one to look at, look at 2 Kings 23, verse 3. This is one that I did not read. It's as the story unfolds. The king stood by the pillar and he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord keeping his commandments, his decrees, and statutes with all his heart, with all of his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So even though he didn't have all of the rules, he still was following. I want you to think about what you're following in your life. What's in the background noise of your life? What's playing on the radio, playing on the on the screen in front of you. Are these words, are, is this noise enhancing your following of God, or is it not? In the case of Josiah, he had this secretary read the word of God out loud, echoing in the chambers of the king's palace. That was his background noise, background noise that inspired him to repentance and to turning and to changing. What is the background noise of our own life? So what does following of God look like? Well, there's one more thing that I want to point out. His cleansing of the temple. His wiping out of the high places on the mountaintops. He went into the temple of Yahweh and he took out those things that were other than God. Those things that were replacements for God. Well, here's what I'm curious about for us. If we were to think about what the high places are in our lives, the temples that we've erected in our hearts, what if we were to ask Walmart and Amazon? What if we were to ask CVS and Discover Card and Visa and American Express? We were to ask them to give us their algorithms, their numeric calculations on us. Where they're able to know what we spend our time on, what we spend our eyes looking at to buy or to want? What might we learn from our own algorithms of where we're clicking through? What would they learn about how our schedules are full on our Google calendars? If we were to grab those algorithms, I, th I think we would know what our high places are, what's most important to us, where we invest our time, and maybe that might inform us on what the storage bin of our heart really is. Not that storage bin and the label that we put on it from the outside, but what it truly is and what it's really holding. When it comes to Josiah, he was the best king ever. I'm serious. In 2 Kings 22, it talks about him not turning to the right or the left for what he knew. He was the goat, the greatest of all times. He followed the rules so well. He followed not just the rules, but the God behind those rules. And when we look at maybe the book that he 
pulled out, Deuteronomy 17, it talks about a king that will hear the word read regularly. This is in Deuteronomy 17, 18 and following. He would hear that word and he would follow it. And with us, I think we're trying to do the same thing as Josiah. Maybe we don't have the examples that we want in our life. We look at our family and we just don't see them. They're not there. Maybe we look at our life and we just feel like we don't know Scripture like we want to know. I'm not worried about the Scripture that you don't know. What if we just lived and made practice of the Scripture that we do know? The things that we know to be true. You know, we're a lot like Josiah. We can be. As we are giving reign and rule over our own kingdoms of what we're going to do with our rulership. And are we going to do like what he did? To stand at the pillar, the pillar at the front of the temple and let all of the people know I'm going to be following Yahweh. That's what's going to happen in my house and in my life. I'd like to say that everything worked out great for Josiah. You know, Huldah gave him, that female prophetess, a, a great insight that you're going to die peacefully. I can't say that everything worked out great. He did die in battle. He was put in a chariot and taken and able to be buried peacefully. But that doesn't seem like much consolation. Especially when these books of Kings say, with David telling Solomon, if you'll just follow what God says, you will be blessed. We look at this, and sometimes it's just true that it doesn't work out. With Josiah, his sons turned away from Yahweh. So not only were his fathers and his, the people that had gone before him evil, but those that came after him were evil as well. But that didn't stop him. Today, I'm not just looking at Josiah. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. I, I'm not concerned about your parents or your children your ancestors or your descendants. I'm not worried about your partner or your friend. I'm worried about you. Will you choose to be a king like Josiah? Will you choose to stand at the pillar of the temple and say, I'm going to follow God wherever God will lead. I'm going to follow his commands. I'm going to follow his rules. I'm going to do what I can to draw my heart, soul, body, and mind into service for God. That's what being a king looks like. And I think Josiah shows us not just what a good king looks like, but what a good person looks like when they move past the reward that they get, the reward even that they expect God to give them, or the expectations that they have for their circumstances. They move past that and they instead follow God. Well, I'm thankful for that Bible major in his flowing robes showing me this book about Alexander Campbell because I love this tradition and I love what it practices. A group of people that are, are committed to not just hierarchies. We're, we're led by local elders. We don't have bishops, denominational headquarters. We're led right here in this place. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that practices ancient practices like the weekly practice of communion or of baptism. These are ancient practices. 
or even diving into scripture and letting it inform who we are, bringing a critical eye to it, letting it inform us in the present moment for today. I guess the real question for us is just like the question that I was asking all of our kids, if, if you could be king, what would you do? Because that's what you are. You have the opportunity to be a king and to live and follow God, to stand for God, to follow him in all of your ways, with your family, whether or not they go along with you. And it's appropriate for us at times to blow the dust off of stories like this, even more recent stories like Alexander Campbell, and be open to surprises, the surprises that we find in an eight-year-old king or in a female prophetess from the Old Testament, we're following God even when we don't get reward. You learn very quickly that our lives are in God's hands and that salvation is not something of my own doing, but it is me leaning upon the grace of God. I call on all of us today to be kings. Kings and queens who choose to follow regardless of who's with us. Let's bow. God, we thank you. We thank you for old stories. We thank you for people that are familiar with old stories. And most of all, as we look back at Josiah, we're thankful for people whose eyes are focused on you, whose body, heart, soul, and mind is clinging to you, and who, whether they are eight years old or getting close to triple digits, are so devoted to you that nothing else matters. We thank you for these examples. And we thank you for the life of Jesus, who shows us what kind of God you are, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and steadfast faithfulness. And we pray that you'll receive the offering of our hearts today through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.